Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week is the last installment in our series on obedience. Join us in Isaiah 52.7. If you have your Bible, uh, or electronic version, or otherwise, if you have that, if you would... uh, Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 52. We're going to look at one verse, and then we're going to head over to Romans chapter 10. And I'll just be honest with you, some of you are coming in, and some of you know that over the past few weeks we've been talking about obedience, that popular subject. Uh, You know, parents love to talk to their kids about it, but we dislike it when we come to church and the pastor talks about it. Believe me, I'm the same way. And so we've been talking about obedience, and a few weeks ago we asked, is it really that important? And we kind of asked and answered that question. Then last week we talked about obedience again. And uh, we kind of chronicled the story of the apostles there from Acts chapter 1 all the way through Acts chapter 5. And saw that no matter what they were facing, it was so important that they walk in obedience. Today I actually want to turn the corner as we prepare for missions uh, revival. And I just want to talk to you on the subject of obedience. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when you really think about obedience. Uh, The problem is we never get to the point of really considering it to be something that really is beautiful. Uh, But I hope by the time we're finished here in just a few moments of time that you will uh, see what I have come to see through this study. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. God, we thank you for the gift of songs and God that we can praise and worship your holy name. God, I thank you uh, for the special music that we just heard and how it uh, reminds and recalls, uh, our, brings our attention, if you please, to the time when we were saved and how thankful we should be uh, to those whom the Lord has used over the years to draw us close to himself. Father, I pray that today that uh, your word will go forth and do what it, accompli- what it desires to accomplish and God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will have his will and his way in our lives. And God, that uh, when we are done looking at your word this morning, God, we'll truly be able to recognize and realize that obedience is a beautiful thing. Father, I pray that you'll bless now as only you can. In Jesus' precious name and for his sake, we pray it all. Amen and amen. I want to begin by sharing with you author Mabel Hale. She wrote... She wrote these words when, it, uh, when we consider this idea of obedience. She said, there are two kinds of obedience. In the first, a weaker person is overcome by a stronger person and then compelled to obey by superior force. His will is not in the obedience, but rather against it. He will cease being obedient when the opportunity permits. This is the obedience that criminals give to laws, that servants give to their masters, and which many children actually give to their parents and teachers. It is the soil in which rebellion grows, and it is always dangerous. Its end is always unrestraint, turmoil, and anarchy. However, she says, she goes on to write, true obedience begins in the heart. The person obeying gives sanction to the law, acknowledging that it is right, and obeys because he or she believes it to be their obligation to do so. They need no law, officer, nor master to compel them. 
When the lesson of self-government is learned, one of life's greatest victories has been won. She said these words, and I close. It should also be recognized that there is a rare pleasure and beauty in one's obedience. The answer of a good conscience brings into the heart a peace and satisfaction that nothing can destroy. When we operate from our heart, it matters not where we're, whether we're listening to uh, this law or that master or this teacher. When we are operating out of a heart that is desiring to please the Lord and we are walking in obedience to His Word and into His principles and to His commands, it's a beautiful sight. Look with me at uh, Isaiah chapter 52. We're only going to look at one verse because I want to kind of set the stage for us to get over to Romans chapter 10. But I want you to notice what verse number 7 says in Isaiah chapter 52. The Bible says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. The words that we actually find here in Isaiah uh, chapter 52 are referring to the news of deliverance that was heralded. In fact, Isaiah is catching a vision. He has a vision of these messengers running across the, the mountaintops. And he is given this vision by God. And what he sees is this, the messenger is coming to announce that their long-awaited captivity in Babylon is coming to a close. That would be good news. They had been held captive in Babylon. Does anybody know how long? Nobody knows. Seventy years. Seventy years. They've been held in captivity. And so this vision of somebody coming to herald the proclamation that their long-awaited and painful captivity was coming to a close would have been beautiful. That holy city of old and its temple were again to rise with splendor and real peace and joy were to be spread over all the land. I would suggest to you that any messenger that is coming in great haste bringing good news like that, would, it would be welcomed news. It would be exciting news. It would be something that we would consider beautiful. In fact, I've been the benefactor of such news in my life. However, this proclamation that we find, in fact, I would encourage you to read Isaiah 52, verses 1 through 12, to get a real picture, a real snapshot of what's going on there. But really, this entire passage in Isaiah 52 is only partially applying to the Jews. It's actually, in their return from Babylon, it actually uh, brings to mind that long-awaited and that long-anticipated arrival of the Messiah, who had been prophesied as well. We remember well, and I think they have it upstairs, we remember well that the angel declared to the shepherds, and we'll be talking about this when we get, ready, when we get closer to Christmas. We, we bring it up every year when we look at Luke chapter 2. The, angels, they de- the angel declared to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 when he said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Stop right there and just look at that. I bring you... Good tidings of great joy, which shall be to what? All people. That's good news. That's good news. It's not just for a select few. 
The angel was bringing the message that this news that he was bringing was for all people, not just Jew, but for the Gentile as well. And so notice he goes on, he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. When I think back at, at Isaiah 52, 7, guys, if you'll throw that one back up on the screen, I want you to look at the end of the verse. In Isaiah's vision, it reveals that the herald, what was the herald coming to do? He's publishing peace and he's bringing good tidings of good things. But notice what else he's saying. He's publishing what? Salvation. That's beautiful news. See, their captivity for 70 years, it would have been beautiful news that they were going to be released. You think about when God sent Moses to Egypt. Moses, he, he's like, what, how are you going to use me? I can't even talk. God said, just go. Just be obedient. Just be obedient, Moses. I'm going to do a beautiful thing through you. See, we look at obedience on the negative side. We need to flip that, that egg over, so to speak, and look at good news on the other side and see how beautiful it is when we walk in obedience. He says he came to publish salvation. I think of the words of John the Baptist. When we think over in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, the forerunner of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, he's proclaiming to all Judea, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you were really looking for the Savior, that would have been good news. That's why it's good news. It's beautiful news. All three of these passages have something in common. In addition to their ultimate reference and, and their ultimate direction pointing towards the Lord Jesus Christ, all three of these passages make known the obedience of the messenger. And the obedience of the messenger is beautiful. You think of the angel bringing the news to the shepherds. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. When you think of the messenger that God gave Isaiah, this vision of this messenger fleeting across the mountaintops, and he thinks, oh, how beautiful are the feet of him that publishes peace. Oh, you think of that. And then you think of John the Baptist, the forerunner of our Lord and Savior. He says, repent, which we think of the word repent as a bad thing. We say, oh my gosh, is that guy going to say the word repent again? Well, guess what? The Bible actually says without repentance, there can be no remission of sin. I didn't write the Bible. Please don't attack the messenger. My, our problem many times is not with the, messenger, the message, it's with the messenger. We get our focus on who's delivering the message rather than the message. What I see in each one of those instances, what's the beauty of the message? The messengers were walking in obedience to what God had them to do. Flip over to Romans chapter 10. And this is a very familiar portion of scripture. But I think what you'll see with me here in just a few minutes is maybe we can look at it in a different light and understand how that your and my obedience is truly a beautiful thing. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 12. Number 12 and following. Remember... <laughs> uh, what was neat about the angel's declaration, you remember in Luke chapter 2, it said, for this is for all people. Notice what Romans 10 verse 12 begins by reminding us. It says, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not heard? 
And how shall they hear and, and uh, whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, referring all the way back to Isaiah 52, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What I want you to notice real quick is look at verse 14 and 15 again with me. In verse number 14, notice the phrase where it says, without a preacher. It says, without a preacher. It says, how shall they hear without a preacher? And then notice in verse number 15, the word preacher. Now, what's interesting to note, and I'm, I'm going to give everybody a little bit of a Greek lesson right here, and you say, oh, it's all Greek to me. I could really care less. But we all need to know this to actually understand it. The phrase in verse 14, without a preacher, and the word preacher in verse number 15, they actually both come from the same Greek word, the word keruso. And that word actually means to herald, to proclaim, or to publish. That's what the word means. And so it makes no difference whether you're thinking, without a preacher, how shall they hear? Or to preach the gospel of peace or whatever. It's the same word, keruso. And it means to herald, to proclaim, or to publish. And it's referring especially to divine truth. You see, we got a lot of people that will run around publishing a lot of messages. But they're not always good for us, are they? Notice again also in verse number 15 these phrases. It's important that we study the Word of God. In verse number 15, the phrase, preach the gospel of peace and actually bring glad tidings of good things. I know that they look different, but they're actually both taken from the same Greek word again. Those phrases are broken out and they're taken from the same word again. This time, the word is euangelizo. Euangelizo. Say that ten times really fast. Euangelizo, euangelizo. Yeah, you'll get it messed up too, all right? But it's taken from this Greek word, and it means this, to bring good news. To bring good news. To announce or to proclaim glad tidings. In other words, the idea behind these phrases is to instruct people in things concerning salvation. That's, that's the idea behind these phrases. Now, what's interesting to me is that in this passage, this passage is not simply written to the pastor. Uh-oh. This passage is not just written to the church staff member. This passage is not even written to the missionaries who we have represented on the back wall, their flags, the countries that they represent. It's not just mentioned to the missionaries. This, this passage is for every one of us who have called out upon the name of the Lord. As our Lord and Savior, this is for us. This is for the body of Christ. Listen, the passage does not say how lovely the messengers are, but only how beautiful are their feet. It's not about what or who the messengers are. It's all about what they bring to the world as those sent by God running in obedience. I like the fact that feet are mentioned. How beautiful are the feet? 
You know, it doesn't say, how beautiful is the curly-headed guy? Or how beautiful the bald man is when he brings the gospel of peace. How beautiful, how beautiful the child is. How beautiful the lady is when she brings the gospel of peace. It doesn't say that. It just says, how beautiful are the feet? Now, I used to throw up, I did a, a message a long time ago, and I had a picture of a, a, a pair of gentlemen's feet from India. And they're all gnarled, and, and they've been walking in sandals and barefoot their whole life. And people usually, when they see the feet on the screen, they're repulsed. They're like, oh, and they lose interest in the message. Anybody already lost interest because I'm talking about obedience? Everybody's already checked out. Everybody's already ready for Elegave. Everybody's already ready for, I mean, half of you go to Elegave every Sunday. I mean, y'all have a problem. That's a different message for a different time. Uh, I think it's really cool that the Bible references feet. Because feet are what God gave us to actually be in motion. For most people, and I understand there are some people who have feet that cannot stand. But for the most part, our feet are what God has given to each and every one of us for stability to stand. Our feet are also given to us. Man, I was studying the foot this week. All the bones and the muscles and the tendons and everything inside of the foot. Man, I felt like I was going to med school, learning all the complexities around the foot. But the one thing I do know is that the foot is designed for me to be able to run. That's the picture Isaiah had when he looked across the mountain. And he said, how beautiful are the feet of him that's coming to publish peace to bring glad tidings, to publish salvation. He was thinking about the feet. He said, look at those feet. They're running with great joy. They're running in great obedience to publish this message that God has given them. See, our feet are instruments of motion. You know what is not an instrument of motion? Shh, don't tell anybody. It's referred to in many circles as our derriere. See, I think the problem with many of us, by the way, me included from time to time, we're more concerned about our derriere than we are our feet. See, God gave us feet to be in motion. Many of us are working nine to five. What a way to make a living. We're, we're doing all those things. We're running. We're, we're paying. Listen, we're giving our time, our treasures, and our talents to the man instead of giving any of it to God. And we wonder what's wrong with the, our, our lives. We wonder what's going on in our families. We wonder what's wrong with our country. We wonder what's wrong in this world. Has anybody taken the opportunity in the last few days to even watch the news? It's depressing. People riding here, people bombing here, people shooting here, people choking this person out, people doing this, because we're not focused on God anymore. And even the answers are not focused on God. All the pundits who gather together to give answers, they're given answers according to man's wisdom. But the Bible tells me man's ways and man's thoughts are nothing compared to God's thoughts and God's ways. And so we wonder what's going on. And all we really have to do is walk in obedience. And I really believe that if we would just do that, if this church would just do that, if... 
you, if I, individually, let's not make it break it down to families, let's break it down to individually. If I would just walk in obedience, what a beautiful thing it would be. If we walked in obedience, what a beautiful thing it would be. If we walked in obedience, I guarantee you this, and this is not a guilt trip, this is reality. If we were all walking in obedience, there would not be empty seats in this room. Let me ask a question. Last year we had George W. Bush look alike. And this place was more packed for a George Bush look alike than I've ever seen it packed in about 20 years for Jesus Christ. We invited our friends, we invited our family, we invited our co-workers because we thought some presidential guru was going to come here. When was the last time we begged somebody to come meet Jesus? It would be a beautiful thing. I don't understand it. I don't understand when people walk away from worshiping God. I don't understand when people decide not to bring their family for worship or when they decide to walk away. I just don't get it. I'm just like you. I sat right there and I watched it. I, I've lived it here at Battlefield Baptist Church for like 13 and a half years as a church member. I went away, went to Bible college, served in another church and came back. I just don't get it. Nobody's calling. Nobody's, nobody's beating any doors down. I just think that we, if we really loved God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, and if we loved our neighbors as ourselves, which is the first and second commandment, man, that Jesus left us, I just think that we would be walking in obedience. And when we walk in obedience, the Bible says it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. How beautiful are those feet? Oh, I, I long for the day when we will all walk with beautiful feet. Here in our text, God's word is reminding us just how beautiful our feet can be when we actually bring good news, when we proclaim peace, when we declare the message of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Most of us, I started to ruin this point a little while ago, most of us are familiar with two types of messengers. You probably work with some of them. You ever have a messenger in the office or the work environment who's always, their, their, their goal in life is to bring bad news? Anybody? Have you ever worked with somebody whose goal was like, not only do they bring bad news, but they're the, they're the messenger of gossip, they're the messenger of hate, they're the, or maybe even worse, the messenger of filth? I used to work in the military. I was in the Marine Corps for almost seven years, and then the rest of my military career, many of you know, I was in the Army. I, I was around a lot of messengers of filth. I don't care if they were Navy, Marine Corps, Army, Air Force, Coast Guard, uh, it just seems to be a breeding ground for foul language. I was there, but God, God took care of that. He changed my heart. There's, there's two types of messengers. One that's always eager to share these discouraging, hateful, uh, bad news messages. But there's also another messenger that we see even in Scripture, one that actually brings good news. The question for me and the question for all of us is what type of messenger are we? What type of messenger are we? Matthew Henry said this. He said a lot of things, but he said this. He said, the gospel proclaims liberty to those that are bound with fears. It is given not only to be known and believed, but to be obeyed. Listen, how beautiful our obedience can be when we proclaim the gospel of peace, bring glad tidings of good things, eternal things, and when we publish the message that Jesus saves, listen, to those of us that have been redeemed, we have already heard the joyful sound that Jesus saves. 
It's our responsibility to let other people hear the joyful sound that Jesus saves. You know, heaven is not just for us four no more. Jesus came to die for the sins of the world, the cosmos. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 2. He came to die for the cosmos. Listen, uh, we need, obviously, to explore and study God's Word. We need to understand that it's okay to ask pertinent questions. And we need, we need to realize that our prayer life is actually crucial when we ask God for wisdom. But there comes a point in time when we simply need to respond to God in beautiful obedience by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. You see, I hear a lot of people a lot of times say, you know what, I, I, I would like to enjoy this, what you're talking about, this beauty of obedience, but what I really need is I need somebody to teach me a little more. I need to bolster my faith. I need to, uh, before I actually exercise obedience, I need to hear more on this subject. Well, speaking of obedience, I saw this quote from Elizabeth Elliot. Maybe many of you have heard of her. Her husband, Jim Elliot, was the slain missionary. He went down to the Aka Indians in uh, South America, and uh, he landed, you know, was taking, taking uh, uh, different materials in to try and be a blessing to the Aka Indians and was desiring to share the love of Christ with them. And the plane lands on the beachfront, and they killed him immediately. Uh, she said this. She said, God is God. Because he is God, he is worthy of my trust and obedience. She said, I will rest nowhere but in his holy will that is unspeakably beyond and more beautiful than my largest notions of what he is up to. Here's a woman who lost her husband walking in obedience to God. And she says this about obedience, that it's beautiful. I think about our Lord's death and how gruesome that scene was. Have you ever pictured that in your mind? We look at the cross and it's become artwork. It's become kind of uh, chic to do a lot of things with the cross. But I wonder if we ever look at the cross in our mind's eye and consider how gruesome a scene that was on Golgotha. Mount Calvary, if you please. When they drove those spikes into our Savior's hands, into his feet, and they raised him up on that hill, I wonder if we remember how gruesome a scene that was when he became sin for you and me. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and following, the Bible reminds us of this beautiful picture of our Lord's obedience when it says, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God? but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And you know, before he even got to the cross, I'm reminded of the, before he ever became the sacrificial lamb for you and I, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24 reveals that Jesus, as he was talking to his disciples in Matthew 16 and 14, and you can look over in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says this to his disciples. He says, if any man will come after me, and what he's referencing there is if any man or woman is going to be my disciple, he says this. He says, let him deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me. I put down here, when we deny ourselves, when we take up our cross and we follow him daily, it's a beautiful picture to him. It brings him pleasure. It brings him joy. In John chapter 14, verse 15, the Bible reminds us that when we keep his commandments out of our love for him, it's a beautiful picture of what obedience can and should be all about. Folks, beautiful obedience is not just about obligation and duty. Beautiful obedience is all about our love. It's about love for our Lord and Savior. And I just want to conclude with some thoughts. And listen, these are not points. Jared was asking me for points. He's like, Pastor, uh, I love Jared. He says, if you could send me your, your points, I want to be able to have those ready for uh, uh, the live tweets that he puts out. I said, I really don't have any points, but I'll give you some now that you can write down. I know Diana, she takes notes. I love giving, giving points because I appreciate when somebody takes notes because my hope is that they'll go back later and they'll look over those notes and it will change them. So here's, I'll give you a few things. You remember in Romans chapter 10 where it talked about that our message needed to be good? Brings glad tidings of good things. And our message we needed to pr- proclaim or preach the gospel of peace. Here's a couple of thoughts for us. And, and let's just, we'll, we'll drive them home really quickly. Our message that we communicate will only be good when it relates to something that's substantially good. Pretty simple, huh? Not rocket science. It's only going to be good when it actually relates to something that's substantially good. I think of Jesus in Mark chapter 10 when he told the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler said, uh, good master. And Jesus says, ho, 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 stop. He said, there's only one good. And that's God. So if you want your message to be something that's substantially good, it ought to be a God-centered message. Our message that we communicate is only going to be good when it immediately concerns us. I cannot speak for anyone else, but as for me, the eternal destination of my children, my wife, and myself, and my family, and my friends, and people that I've come into contact with, it's a big concern to me. And so it's a, it's a good message because it's something that concerns me. You ever hear a message that sounds good, but you have no interest in it? It might be a good message, but it, ha- it has nothing to do with me. And so this message has everything to do with me, and so it becomes a good message. It's only a good message that we communicate when it is true and it's certain. And there's a few things that I've learned in life that are certain. From God's Word, I know that Proverbs 27.1 tells us to boast not thyself for tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I also know from James chapter 4, verse 14, the Bible says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and yet vanisheth away. I also know from Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, that the Bible tells me none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's only through the name of Jesus Christ that men or women can be saved. And so if we want to have a good message, it must be something substantially good, it must be something that concerns us, and it must be something that is true and certain. And I have truth when I read God's Word. The message we communicate only brings peace when it offers God's version of peace. Have you ever heard somebody trying to offer you peace? They want to offer you, remember back in the 70s, people put it on our backs of our cars. 
We had to, it wasn't much bumper stickers, but they were stickers. Most of the time we put them on the rear window. You know, back then it was the age of Aquarius, man. I had longer hair there and it was brown. Yes, young person, I did have longer hair back then. We used to put the little sticker on the window, right? Peace, man. Peace. There's a lot of people trying to sell a false version of peace. But our message only brings peace and only communicates peace when it offers God's version of peace. And the only way to have that type of peace is to be actually reconciled back to God. You'll never have peace with God until you are reconciled back to God. You see, because sin created a divide between me and God. And so I have to be reconciled back to God. If you think about Romans chapter 5, if they throw that up on the screen in Romans chapter 5, the Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into his grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Listen, the message we communicate only brings peace when it offers God's version of peace. It only brings peace when it brings peace to ourselves. Back in Isaiah chapter 57, verse number 21, the Bible states, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Friends, when we receive peace from God through Jesus Christ our Lord, we will begin to experience peace within our own conscience. Have you ever tried to rest your mind? And you're never able to rest your mind because so many things are flowing through your mind and you have peace day nor night. You're like, God, I just need peace. God, I need rest. God, I need this. Until we start walking according to God's ways, I'm going to suggest to you, because I've been there, tried it, and done that, I'm going to suggest to you that you'll never experience real peace. You may experience a false sense of peace for a while that may come from your financial status, or you may uh, have a false sense of peace for a while that comes from all the toys that you may have. But soon and very soon, if your peace is not connected to the peacemaker... Your peace will come crumbling down. The message we communicate only brings peace when it promotes peace with one another. It only brings peace when our message communicates peace with one another. Christianity is a religion or a relationship, like I say, of peace. It is not a relationship of anger. The Bible tells us in Psalm 34, verse 14, to depart from evil and to do good, to seek peace and to pursue it. God's word offers, brings, and promotes peace in our lives. When we consider this idea of obedience, and I know everybody is going to say, amen, this is the last week, really, that I will talk to you on obedience, because next week I'm going to talk to you about being aligned with God's message, his mission, and his method, give you a little foreshadowing what we're going to talk about. Idea B, kind of original, right? (laughs) For you guys. When we talk about this idea of obedience in regards to this message that we're, this passage that we're talking about, and we begin to realize that it's a beautiful thing, it'll only be a beautiful thing when we recognize the value of the gospel message. It will only be a beautiful thing when we recognize the value of the gospel message. It's, let me ask you a question. I, this is just a asked and maybe, maybe we could participate. 
Was it valuable if you're here this morning and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ? I'm speaking to Christians. Was it valuable to you to hear the gospel of Christ? Don't you think it'd be valuable to somebody else? I mean, guys, I've always said I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. But it doesn't take much to figure it out. If it was valuable to me, it's going to be valuable to somebody else. When we recognize the value of the gospel message, that's when our obedience to that message will be beautiful. When we exercise passion in sharing the gospel message, when we exercise passion in sharing the gospel message, listen, it's a welcome message to those who by faith place their trust in Christ, just as we did. It's a welcome thing. It's an exciting thing. In fact, I used to remember, used to be that you couldn't keep people from coming down. Now, and I'll be honest, listen, I don't mind doing it. I ask people to look up at me if they want to place their faith in Christ. But you know what? If I thought I was headed to hell, and I thought that there was a Jesus who loved me and died and gave himself for me, and if I thought that I could put my faith in that Jesus, that same Jesus, that same Lord, and ask him to forgive me of my sin, and that by placing my faith in him and asking him to come in and to be my Savior and my Lord, that that would change my eternal destination, man, I wouldn't just want to raise my hand or look up at the preacher, fuzzy-headed preacher. I would be wanting to burn the carpet up. There's nothing wrong. Hold on a second. Maybe there is something. Nope, there's nothing wrong with the altar anymore. It's still there. It's a place of acknowledgement, not a place of embarrassment. Do you know that in the temple, they came to the altar of God to worship Him? And yet we're scared to walk down to the altar to ask Him to save us. Man, we got to exercise passion in sharing the gospel message. And then thirdly, when we consider obedience... It's a beautiful thing when we thrive spiritually because of the gospel message. Living out our faith as heralds, as proclaimers of peace, it's a beautiful thing. I was sharing with my wife last night that I was going to share Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. You could throw it up there. Uh, where Solomon, the wise man, he says, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. When he's speaking of time, he's talking about a season of life. Because just before, in the first ten verses before that, he's talking about there's a time for this, a time for that, a time to, uh, 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 you know, be happy, a time for war, a time for peace, a time to be young, a time to be old. And he's talking about seasons in our life. And he says, he hath made everything beautiful in its time or season. And she said, what's the big deal about that? And I said these words. I said, sharing the gospel is always beautiful. And with God, it's always in season. It's beautiful and it's always in season. There is never a season where it will not be a beautiful thing to see feet running to spread the gospel of peace. There will never be a season of life where it will not be beautiful to God to see people bringing glad tidings of good things or eternal things to people. No. Proclaiming God's message is God's designated method for communicating divine knowledge. And if you look at the passage that we studied, we're all well aware by now that without this divine knowledge, men and women 
cannot believe. And without faith, men and women cannot call upon the name of the Lord. And without calling upon the Lord our God, men and women cannot be redeemed or saved. It's a beautiful thing. Paul reminded young Timothy as I close. He reminded young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Notice what he says. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Uh, what he's saying is it's a welcomed message. It's worthy of acceptation. It's a, it's a welcomed message that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he reminds Timothy of whom I am chief. Oh, yes. Obedience, it's a beautiful thing. By the way, somebody say, well, why all this push on being obedient? Can you guys, and I don't know if I asked you to do this, can you throw up verse number 16 of our text? Why, why the push? Why, why, the, why the excitement? Why the, why the uh, uh, heavy, heavy load of obedience messages? Why is it so important? Why is it a beautiful thing? What does verse number 16 begin by saying? But they have not all obeyed the what? In other words, there's more to do. There's more to do. We still have a job to do. In 2016, not all have obeyed the gospel. Time is of the essence. There's still more to do. I think about Paul when he instructed us in Ephesians 5.16 to be redeeming the time because the days are evil. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 35, he said that the fields are white already to harvest. In Matthew 9, verse 37, he told his disciples, or Christ followers, he said the harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. What he was saying, there's plenty of people who are ready to be saved. There's just not a lot of people sharing the message. There's people all around the world that are ready to hear the gospel. There's people in Warrington who are ready to hear the gospel. There's people in New Baltimore who are ready to hear the gospel. There's people in Haymarket and Bristow and Gainesville and on and on who are ready to hear the gospel. The problem is, Jesus says, hey, the fields are white on the harvest. The problem is, the laborers are few. In John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus is actually referring to his own obedience. I love that about our Lord. He always... Uh, referred to himself many times when trying to teach others lessons. And in John chapter 9, verse number 4, referring to his own obedience, he states this, he says that there was a night coming when no man would be able to work. So I simply ask this question. How beautiful are your feet? You say, well, my feet are kind of calloused up. I've got corns all over my feet. Don't need to talk about it. My, my, my toes are all gnarled. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the physical appearance of your feet. I'm talking about the spiritual application in which are your feet actually being used. You see, because the title of that message that I used to teach years ago when I was in Murray, Missouri is simply beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You see, it would be a beautiful thing to someone who doesn't know Christ to come to know him. It would be a beautiful thing for somebody who's been living in captivity of sin 
for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years and never knowing the truth of the gospel of peace, the message of glad tidings that brings good news. Maybe, maybe you know someone like that. I do. I know people like that. And so I just simply say, how beautiful are our feet? Because beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Let's do a better job this year. Let's take a step of faith this year. Let's not sit back. Let's, let's be in the Lord's house this week to encourage our missionaries who are willing to be those feet to carry the gospel around the world. Let's pray. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.